Welcome to Quill Sword Blogcast. The Post-Russo-Sino World, Part 2. Okay, when we last left our hypothetical, the world had not ended in a fireball. The U.S. was busily trying to corral nuclear proliferation, and both Russia and China had fully collapsed. Nation-states can multitask. They aren't great at it because humans aren't. But unlike your supermom, nation-states really do have many people who can be directed to do different things. This is a good thing because the U.S. is going to be really distracted, as it was in the 90s, with trying to not let crazies get nukes. However, the U.S. is also going to have, a, have to deal with the fallout of two major governmental collapses. When the Soviet Union went belly up, the U.N. was still barely, for it, robust. That's not true any longer. I'm not interested in doing a dissertation, so the short version is the Russians and the Chinese helped undermine the UN over the last four or five decades, with it getting much worse in the last three. The UN isn't completely useless, but it's probably more work than it's worth, while the U.S. has bigger fish to fry. That won't stop the UN from being an oversized pain in the backside, but it also means the UN won't be any real help. Europe? I don't know. I'm kind of hopeful for the European people, but their governments are crap and getting worse. They aren't very close to collapse at present, but they're so over-dependent on the EU and so badly skewed that it's hard to see any of those governments getting their acts fully together fast. There's a lot to unload with Europe. Some are questioning whether our European allies have ulterior motives. But the question for today is, what will they do? Mostly trip over themselves. That's not a dig. Europe had no better frame of reference for, than anyone else for this kind of a mess. The problem with muddling through as a means of problem solving is that you end up face down in the mud more often than not. We like to think our governments are well-thought-out engines of progress. <coughs> Excuse me. Had to stop for a giggle break. Anyway, they aren't. Governments are people trying to figure out big, complex people problems. Good governments try to do that with a minimum of harm. No governments do that perfectly, and the idea that experts can figure it all out and save the day is just laughable. Governments are people, and people make mistakes. The bigger and more complex the system, the stupider the mistake. We can make it worse. We could turn the whole mess over to an AI, which will promptly decide that every dog pictured near snow is a wolf and nuke the San Diego Zoo. I vote we skip that one. People may be messy, but it's a messy we know how to handle. Europe is in a bad position. It has a fully developed economy, yet declining birth rates. Coal aplenty, but not so much oil and gas, which doesn't matter since Europe is busily trying to save the world by bankrupting itself. This creates an interesting balancing act that we're already watching them try to rebalance as Russian gas is leaving the station and oil is not far behind. Losing cheap Chinese goods on top of that will not be fun. Now the smart move is to help Eastern Europe fill the gap. 
Their labor pool is still relatively inexpensive, meaning that they can take over a lot of manufacturing and assembly work. This will only work for a generation at most, but that gives them some time to figure things out. Unfortunately, Western Europe isn't big on figuring things out with Eastern Europe because of all that pesky resistance to oppression, communism, socialism, and licentiousness masquerading as liberalization. Basically, the East is far more conservative, for want of a better term, than the West. This is not helping the EU at all. And then we get to the North versus South issue. No, I'm not kidding. There really is one. Frankly, it's kind of amazing the EU has lasted this long. Europe is a group of independent nation-states acting like a loose confederation under a cobbled-together constitution that makes the U.S. Articles Confederation look absolutely genius. The astute will recall that we dumped the Articles after 11 years of frustration. And this is the mess that is theoretically going to help the U.S. help the rest of the world after Russia and China both exit stage right. Oh boy. Still, Europe is stuck with at least some of this. Collapsing governments tend to spawn refugees. In the case of Russia, we only get six months, if we're lucky, before humanitarian aid becomes essential. Remember, the crappy state of the Russian economy is going to be a major factor in a collapse. Even if it weren't, without the government funneling money into the public sector, economic disaster just isn't far behind. This is bad in Sri Lanka, where they are having difficulty growing enough food, but are in a subtropical zone. Russia ain't even temperate, let alone subtropical. Russia has brutal, deadly winters that will be devastating if the economy can't keep food and energy supplied. Hi, Europe! On the bright side... The work supplying Ukraine has developed better west-east supply chains. That stupid Russian rail gauge is going to be a problem getting supplies through Ukraine and into Russia, which presumes Ukraine is feeling charitable. That is likely going to be fine. Ukrainians and Russians are strongly interrelated, so while Ukrainians aren't willing to give up their country, they also aren't going to want their Russian cousins starving. We hope. The downside is Russia will feel they're going to need expertise more than supplies. Here again, Ukraine can help, but will Russia let them? Russia's pride got it into this mess, and it will be hard to accept managerial and administrative aid. But those are what Russia will need most. Ukraine has the best bridge to the translation gap. But having the country that beat you in a war you weren't supposed to lose help you with your restructuring? Ouch. Enter the self-absorbed, stereotypical French diplomat. German engineer? Spanish administrator? British businessman? Russia's not going to like anything Europe does. But the Russian people are going to have to have help. Europe has to has the know-how when they aren't on vacation, and they are right on the border. Russia is going to have a painful lesson in deal with it. This is the hard part. Russia needs guidance its culture won't easily accept. 
put too much pressure on them and we'll be revisiting this mess in a few decades. Let them have too much leeway and we will also be revisiting this mess in a few decades. Who said diplomacy was for wimps? That's just European Russia. We're assuming a full government collapse, but there's nothing inherent to that which prevents a breakup. The Russian Federation has more cracks than a dried-out lake bed. It also has some strong forces pulling it together, mostly cultural ones. Don't underestimate culture. It kept the country mostly intact following the fall of the Soviet Union. But this may be the final straw. In some ways, balkanization will be easier to deal with. Messy is all get-out, but lots of little desperate governments are easier to convince than a recalcitrant central government that just lost most of its power. For the U.S., balkanization is a pain in the backside. Makes everything where nukes everywhere is a bad thing. But for the U.N. and Europe, it will be easier to get cooperation and to help them help themselves. For the Russians, it will be catastrophic. A complete collapse attacks the heart of who the Russians believe themselves to be. Long term, it will be a painful but probably ultimately good lesson. Short term, that's a lot of grief and pain to deal with while you're trying to survive and rebuild. Here, Europe is a better choice than the U.S. to help initially. If the Europeans get their act together, of course. Russia, after a collapse, is going to be fragile. It's also going to be temperamental. And in the midst of all that, Russia has to decide what it's going to do with itself. No imposed government lasts. The Russians are living proof of that in several ways. It will be up to them to make the final decision of what kind of government they want. Russians have a strong attachment to stability. Authoritarian systems always do. And little tolerance for the controlled chaos of an American-style democratic republic. But authoritarianism has never served them well, and their people are more used to freedom and prosperity than their Soviet predecessors. So where's the middle ground for them? And how do we help them find it? That will be a very big, very messy project for the U- that the U.S. will have to have a hand in. Europe is not going to accept Russia into the U- EU, and I don't even think it should. Russia won't be ready for decades, by which time the U- EU may not be the same. Here it's just possible the U.S. will have an advantage. The U.S. is in the middle of a political upheaval. I'm still extremely dubious that it will result in a civil war, but it will result in some dramatic party changes. Having a real-time controlled chaos do its thing will give us something to point to when the dust settles and the U.S. emerges stronger to show that we can do it. And if we can do it, Russia can too. Of course, I'm assuming that we will emerge stronger. History seems to be on my side here. Regardless, the days of authoritarian counter to the authoritarian counter to Western democratic governance are ending. Letting Russia sink back into its authoritarianism does it no service 
and its people no good. The decision, however, has to be theirs. Make no mistake. But we need to put up a good case for why going back down the same path that keeps leading to this kind of failure isn't a good plan. And that the Russian stoicism that they are so justly proud of can be put to much better use for the benefit of Russians. This time, however, we have got to keep our eye on the ball and make sure that everyone has an at-bat.